0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com.
1: I cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers, and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit and I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th, and
2: 5th. Hi, I'm Kathy Fedke, co-CEO of Real Wealth Network, and we started raising money for syndications back in 2009, so I guess you could say it's my 10-year anniversary. Uh, We did some things very wrong in the beginning, and we are doing them very right today. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of new syndicators make the mistakes that I made in the beginning and, and mistakes that are way worse than I could ever have dreamed up, so I'm excited so excited that this event is happening, um, that I can come and teach people how to really build a business that will be there for the long term, um, and that investors will just, just be waiting in great anticipation for your next deal and have money set aside that they can't wait to send you.
0: Hey everybody, this is Corey Peterson. You know, I'm known in my industry for being able to get a crap ton of referrals. I've been able to do this through a unique, customized, Um, binder that we sent to each and every investor guys I'm going to unlock this for you at this conference I'm gonna show you the step-by-steps of it and I'm telling you right now if you don't use this in your uh, presentations and in your money-raising ability you're not going to be successful this tool will help you get a crap ton of referrals and that will lead you to becoming very successful in the multifamily world
2: hi I'm Ellie Perlman, and I've noticed that many investors that are trying to raise capital don't know how to systemize the process and I found a way to build a really really great funnel that automates the process so I'm able to add two to three and sometimes even five investors to my list every week so this October in Denver I'm going to be teaching you how to, uh, to do that and I'm going to give you the step-by-step
0: blueprint of how to build a systemized and automate Your funnel. I'm going to be talking at the Raising Money Summit with Adam Adams, and I
2: cannot wait to see you there.
1: Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today I'm with a good friend of mine. Uh, She actually lives here in Colorado, so we've we've met in person, we've worked together, and what we're talking about today with Whitney Hutton is how to scale your passive investment portfolio to become a multi-multi-multi-multi-passive investor, a multi-millionaire (laughs) when you don't have to do much with it, and uh, which is awesome. One of the things that I believe is a misconception, and Whitney can absolutely argue with me if she disagrees, and I hope she does, if, if she does. What I would say is that there's a misconception about what is passive income. And in my opinion, I believe that when you're buying a rental it's active-passive. It's not passive-passive. You have to focus on it constantly. You'll have to answer phone calls, maybe change toilets, whatever, but there's, there's active-passive, and then there's what we call passive-passive. Mm-hmm. Whitney is a passive-passive expert, so we're going to get into some of that with you right now. Whitney, how are you today?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much, and it's a pleasure to, have, um, to be here with everybody, and thank you for inviting me
1: my I'm happy to have you I feel like it's our pleasure to have you so let me ask you this question mm-hmm. when when you what year was it when you first started just what year was your first real estate investment
2: um, my first real estate investment was a single family and personal home in 2002 and um you know like most people I became an accidental landlord And the person I purchased the house with, the relationship dissolved. I found myself in a position that I could no longer afford the mortgage. So I gathered up three or four roommates, put them in the house, and then uh, rehabilitated the house over the next 11 months and sold it. Uh, And that was my first foray into real estate.
1: So in 2002 was your first real estate investment how were you feeling when you were getting involved? What, how were you feeling when you were about to get into this? What was kind of going through your mind there?
2: Well, I um, I was overwhelmed on several fronts. Um, you know, particularly the circumstances of which I was entering the transaction, but just learning the whole real estate, the the language, um, everything. Putting down so much money. I mean, it was just it was it was foreign to me. Um, on that first transaction, though. Um, in hindsight, what I didn't realize, I actually didn't use any of my own money. I had 103% financing. I had borrowed $7,000 from a family member. And so really at the end of the day, I had zero of my own money in that deal. 11 months later, I was able to cash out with $52,000 in my pocket and live for free the whole time.
1: Okay. So one question and wow, no money <laughs> down. 11 months later, if I remember you, what you said correctly. 50 plus thousand sitting in your pocket? Yes. You have big pockets. No, no, no. Okay. All right. I have bad jokes. That's what happens when you're a father. You get dad jokes and they're bad jokes. All right. So let me ask you this. um, Really, as you were getting involved into this, you said that you were originally nervous that you were putting, quote, so much down. Um, So what so what did that mean when you found out that you actually didn't have to put any down was what, I mean, I, I'm a little bit confused. I just want to straighten that out. So I understand.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and I work with, um, you know, investors now that, uh, and that are going through the same emotions that I had when I purchased my first single family. It's, they look at the overarching price tag, And say, wow, um, you know, at this time in my life, $171,000 was a huge investment for me. It's probably one of the largest investments at that time, up until that point in my life, I was ever going to make. And I was also using leverage. And what I didn't understand at the time was how the, the exact leverage that I was using and how that would actually um, potentially lower my risk. Now, we all know what happened you know, a few years after 2002, um, you know, at that before, um, you know, 2006, 2008. I mean, people, anybody with that had a pulse and a, you know, a heartbeat walking around, they could get a loan. Um, you know, the, the lending situation has really changed at this point. Um, you know, changed, um, drastically, you know, uh, uh, since then. However, uh, that now that looking back with my experience, that was an amazing situation that I was able to purchase that home, that investment, um, leverage income that I was getting from tenants, forcing equity through the rehab. And then being able to reposition the house 11 months later with cash in my pocket. And then when you go back and you pencil out the finances, everybody in the house was paying for my housing over the course of that 11 months. And I was able to actually put um, about $400 a month in my pocket.
1: Awesome. $400 every single month just kind of passively going into your bank account. I want to ask you on one of the things that I heard you say that I would say 60% plus people that heard it had had something inside their brains kind of say, that's there. Here's some dissonance here. I'm not used to hearing this. This is something new. Um, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to elaborate on it a little bit. And that was that leverage lowers risk.
2: Yeah. So, uh, it, lo- it can lower your personal risk if you use it properly over time. That is, I didn't have 171000 of my own dollars in the deal to lose. I was using other people's money. Now, uh, you know, when you're buying a personal residence, and most of the time, you know, with conventional financing up to your first, you know, 10 positions as a single owner or 20 if you're married, you are writing a personal guarantee on that loan. So you are on the hook if something goes south. However, you know, if the market goes up and down, I wasn't losing, you know, uh, $50,000 in my own money. The bank was sharing the risk with me in that deal.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah. So I agree with you a hundred percent on, on, on that. And I mean, I, I can elaborate or I'd love to elaborate. I don't yeah. want to spend too much time on it right now, but I, I 100% do believe that, that most people say that it's risky when you have a high amount of leverage. I feel completely opposite. And if, if somebody was curious and wanted to spend the time, they could set up a call with me and I could try to walk them through it one-on-one because having the Q&A back and forth can really help. The dialogue can really help. But if you already agree and you're listening, great. If it sounds crazy and you and you want to talk this out, you can set up a call with me and I would love to share with you. I I probably have 10 reasons why I believe that it's a lot less risky to have more leverage and more in the bank. More leverage, more in the bank instead of all your money sitting in a property and having no cash available when something goes wrong. Right. So anyway, let, let's move on to um, understanding what all you have done within passive investments. So we know that in 2002, you had a house, you brought in, I think, four
2: uh, roommates, yes. mm-hmm.
1: and now you were actually making money to live at your own house, and you're p- making more money than the mortgage. And what was your path since then to get into more passive real estate investing?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I had several, took several lumps uh, in the downturn uh, and kind of had a winding path. But in 2016, um, fast forward, what, 14 years, uh, my husband and I uh, were married and uh, we were kind of staring down the barrel of his pension becoming a political pawn. Uh, in today's environment so well,
1: can you explain that a little yeah. bit more on what you yeah. mean by political pawn? since yeah. i don't know maybe there's yeah. some there also
2: sure so um you know he works for the government and you know the the his pension isn't exactly within his control, whether he gets it or not, you know, the pressures of Congress and, you know, um, you know, political parties, you know, we were facing the fact that, you know, in retirement years that his pension might not be there, or it might be dissolved, or it might be bought out. So what were we going to do in order to replace our retirement income? So we started off, Um, I, you know, I had had great success, um, with single family homes. Uh, we've even proven now, uh, success in doing, uh, you know, live in flips, um, to get uh, purchase a house in Boulder, Colorado. And, uh, we really dove into rental real estate at that time. And, you know, just something you were saying at the beginning of the show, we started picking up, uh, single family homes and thinking that was going to be a passive investment. Well, uh, it wasn't, <laughs> we purchased our first, uh, single family, uh, rental, uh, in 2016 and quickly understood, um, that put a tenant in it And then literally every time we went out of town for a camping trip or a trip on the, you know, on the weekend, we would get a call about the toilet breaking or a, a pipe under the sink was broke or the fence had blown down. And, uh, what we thought was gonna be a passive investment turned out not to be. So uh, you know, as we started uh, you know, repositioning equity and capital over the course of the next year, year and a half, we stumbled across this um, miracle, I call it a miracle investment called syndications, and really where we could reposition that equity into a deal, uh, a multifamily deal, where we're actually sharing in the ownership of the underlying entity that was owning the asset. And there's an operator, there's a property manager, um, there's a whole team that's able to expertly manage this asset. And so, you know, really while we're, you know, having to underwrite the deal and making sure and underwrite the operator and, you know, the, the market, of course, um, once, that, once we made the investment within, you know, with the operator in the market, it was a hands-off investment for us.
1: Love that, love that. And there is some Upwork, Upfront work, right? Uh, I mean, I hope, I hope there's upfront work, <laughs> yeah. vetting the operator, vetting the market, vetting the property. Yes. But once, once you know that you trust and you're ready to ready to go with the market, the property, and the operator, that's when you usually are are able to say, you know, I can now sit back and wait and just collect checks.
2: Essentially okay yes you're i mean you' nope. your active your uh role in the investment has ended um you're uh you have you know in the position is known as a limited partner and, and you know, in that you're you have a limited role as well so you're keeping an eye on your uh the monthly updates or the quarterly updates you know depending on how the the operator is operating uh And, you know, you definitely want to keep eyes on everything. You don't want to, you know, take your hands off the steering wheel. But at that point in time, really the operator is the one that has maintains the control of the underlying entity and the asset in order to steer it to um, a good exit. You know, maybe that's a refinance or a sale.
1: Okay, awesome. Um, So one of the things that you said was originally you were talking about the pension being a political pawn. I appreciate you going into more detail on that. Uh, My question is, as far as the investments that you do have that are passive-passive investments into syndication, Mm -hmm. um, are these retirement or pension funds or are these cash or both or all three, whatever the (laughs) case is?
2: Uh, I'm not sure where the third bucket came in. We actually have two buckets. We use um, retirement funds and which, you know, you can argue whether that's a good tax strategy or not. Uh, and we can certainly entertain that question. And then we also use cash funds.
1: Okay. And are you still looking for more single family rentals or your own that you manage as well then or, or not?
2: Well, I uh, after the, the first rentals here in Colorado that we had, we repositioned this to out of state. Uh, initially, turnkeys. Uh, we've since moved all of our turnkeys, and um, you know we we uh, exercised like a more of a burst strategy in order to force the equity in the home and get more of our money back out of the property on the refinance. So uh, we hold 20 properties that way. Uh, we just sold off six, so we've re, uh, reduced our position single-family rentals uh, just to kind of you know steer more towards the actual true passive side of our investments uh, but we do do both part of our strategy is actually continuing to repurchase repos- uh, Burr investments and then package those up and reposition you know maybe like groups of four or five and reposition that equity and roll that up into um, syndication deals so, if you think about it, when done right, and you know uh, leveraging time in other people's networks and and connections, we're essentially taking zero of our equity, packaging that up, you know, upon the sale of the single family home, and repositioning that equity in a syndication deal that provides us passive passive income.
1: Awesome. Let me ask you one question. I believe sure. that Burr, B R R R. Yes. And sometimes an extra R. I believe <laughs> that burr has become a very famous uh, term, but there still might be a couple of people listening right now that are, that are fairly time. new. So if you can kind of yeah. just share what that process is, how does that look?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, for anybody that understands what turnkey is a burn investment is actually you're entering the, the acquisition of the property at an earlier stage. So you're buying the property in a distressed state. Now it could be physical distress, financial distress, or maybe even there's an emotional distress. Say like the, the, the owner of the property is going through a divorce or there's been a death. Um, so you're entering the property, um, you know, hopefully buying it low. You're rehabilitating the property to force the equity to hire um, after repair value, or known as ARV. And then, uh, if you purchased right, you're then once you tenant the property, you are then going to refinance out your money. So a good example would be our actually our last property um, that we're actually in the pro- process of, of repositioning. I'll tell you actually a real deal. We picked it up for seventy one thousand dollars. Uh, we put, it was a landlord that actually was done managing it. Um, the cool thing about this property is that he didn't see the potential to put in a third bedroom. We spent 8,500, um, fixed up just, you know, some cosmetic things around the house, added a third bedroom. So we forced the equity up to $114,000. Now we're going to be able to refinance pretty much all of our money out, save for about $1,100. So we now own a house that's $114,000. We own it for $1,100. That's all of our money, including all closing costs that we have in the deal. And the tenant is paying $1,100 a month to live in that property.
1: Okay, so you get your entire investment back every mm-hmm. single month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, right? So, so to recap, Burr is B-R-R-R-R-R-R. You said you buy it low, you
2: rehab, it? rehab, it, rehab to, it
1: to increase the value, rent it out, rent- refinance mm-hmm. your equity out, and just repeat the process with not mm-hmm. too much of your money sitting in any one house at any one time. That's really, Correct. that's really, really cool. Thank you for going over that. Now, I have one last question before we get into the final five. I'm new I have, let's just say, $500,000 that I could find a way to put it to work. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to increase my passive income, to scale my passive portfolio. Mm -hmm. What's the best path in Whitney Hutton's
2: view? (laughs) If you're sitting on $500,000 of equity, um, you know, 8%, you could generate $40,000 by, you know, you know putting it into other people's syndication deals right now. And think about this, depending on the deal, if we have a deal that's, say, a 2x multiple, which is pretty common these days, you know, returning 8% preferred every month, um, which most deals are somewhere between 8 to 10% that I'm seeing right now and you have say a you're, making, you're
1: making me look bad cuz we we sometimes see 6 7 and 8 and now uh, you're saying 8 to 10 so nobody wants to mess with me anymore <laughs> <laughs> all right no but anyway, keep, keep going i love it i love it
2: but let's focus on the equity multiple because okay. really you know we can we can go into the nuances of the preferred return if there is a preferred return you know when does the split happen but really at the end of the day the equity multiple if we're looking at a 2x equity multiple and an exit at 5 years you're taking that $500,000 and in five years making it a million dollars. And then. Where uh, are you going to see you do that? <laughs>
1: five more years after that, how much does it, how much is it?
2: Two million.
1: And five more years after that.
2: Four. We can keep going. <laughs> I think
1: that's so, so four million in 15 years or am I way off? Is it 20 or 15? Uh, one. Now you're, now two, one, four, two, four, 15. Four,
2: 15. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Cool. All right. So it sounds like a really good plan to do. Um, what I want to ask you is I've got this 500 grand and and I believe you skipped over a lot of stuff where you went from, Absolutely. I have the 500 grand <laughs> to I'm just going to put it into um, some deals that other people are running. So what do I do to find out where I'm going to put that money? How do I figure this out? How much money do I put in? How many different deals, in your opinion?
2: Oh, wow. That is a great question. I mean, this gets back to, you know, what is your your risk tolerance? Um, And, and, you know, what your diversity, like how many markets do you want to be in? You know, what type of assets do you want to be in? Do you want to be in all multifamily? You know, uh, do you want to do some self So we could really pick that apart. Um, uh, for me personally, um, I would probably put 500 to or five fifty thousand to a hundred thousand into each deal. So that would be, you know, five to 10 deals. I always like holding back a little bit in case there's any sort of like capital call, uh, which, you know, uh, I personally haven't seen, and I haven't heard of recently, um, you know, anybody deals requiring a capital call. If underwritten property, uh, properly, I should say, if the property is underwritten properly, <laughs> uh, 40 slipped slip there, uh, then um, that money, there should be a capital account set aside. And so there really shouldn't be a capital call with the investors. Now, uh, you know, I always like having a little bit on the side, just, you know, for added protection uh, you know, making sure that all your additional financial buckets are filled, making sure that you have, you know, rainy day funds, you have, you know, six to, you know, 12 months worth of expenses set aside. So maybe that for you is $400,000 invested. Um, now, how do you get to that? Uh, you know, you're really going to be seeking out people, um, operators that have a good track record that have been, um, you know, in the investment space for a while, or if they're a new operator, they're connected with somebody uh, in that deal that has done um, syndication. So, um, you know, somebody who's brand new, um, doesn't have anybody on their team, uh, that has done a syndication before makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, but anyways, because really at the end of the day, you are investing in the team. I mean, you can have the most beautiful property ever, the greatest financials on the spreadsheet. And if the team cannot execute, the deal will be in trouble. And I've seen that happen. I've actually had that happen to me Um, in my first syndication that I ever invested in. um, You know, we're we're getting back on track through the course of this year. But, you know, we really struggled through the first year and a half. And part of that was because of the team. And actually, the team was a solid team. They were a very reputable team. uh, But they had one key player that exited their team at the wrong time. There was no succession strategy. And um, they were unable to recover, you know, for about six to nine months.
1: Awesome. So let me try to sum up what I think I heard, and I love it all. Uh, Number one, if you have 500 grand, the, uh, uh, the best thing to do, in your opinion, but there's a lot of options out there, and it all depends on your risk tolerance. I understand that, is to keep some in reserves because you need six to nine months, and you never know if there's a capital call, even though they're not very common. You need it just in case. So, perhaps to put 400,000 of the 500,000 out into deals. And in order to do that, what you need to do is really vet the operator, understand who they are, make sure that they have a track record. And you would suggest putting somewhere between 50 to 100 on each one. So you're in at least five deals. Is that right?
2: If you're first starting out, because you're going to really learn and that from my experience in that first round or you know i would say across the first round if you're able to pick up five to eight deals you're going to learn really fast like what do you like multifamily self storage they're all going to have different structures um, you know some assets are going to reposition faster i mean i have a couple of assets that are looking to reposition in 3 years instead of 5 so uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's just a myriad of ways of doing this. I think that the most important thing to understand is to put the money to use for you and whatever that looks like and whatever you're comfortable with.
1: Awesome. What do you do, Whitney, uh, yourself when looking at, when you said, I, I heard you say something about potentially diversifying in multiple markets. Um, so what do you do? What's your strategy there?
2: Um. Great question. So I'm currently in four different markets. Um, I have a single family portfolio in Indianapolis and Kansas City. And then the majority of our um, multifamily assets are in Greenville, South Carolina, and then uh, Texas. So we're looking at geographical markets, um, different sizes of MSAs, the metropolitan service area different industries that are feeding those markets. So uh, that's what I look at um, as far as diversification. Uh, I full on believe in the power of real estate, so a good chunk of my assets are held in real estate. You know, one can argue even diversifying into stocks and notes and and the like um, of that. But really just looking at the markets, I don't want to have like all my um, investments tied up, say like in the military market, you know, what happens then if just start closing across all those assets? Um, you know, if we're looking at, you know, assets all purchased in a a tourist area, and then all of a sudden tourism starts dropping and those drops go away. So you want to make sure that you, you you have, you know, at the end of the day, your tenant is, the employee, so to speak of that asset and they have to have a job. They have to be able to afford it. And so how, how can you hedge your bets and and cover your assets?
1: Cover Your assets. I got a lot of value from what you just shared talking about the four markets that you're in. I believe that the listener got a lot of value as well. Let me um, dive deeper into the specifics of you choosing those markets. I believe that you mentioned Texas. I don't remember the city. You also remember, I remember you saying Greenboro, Greenburg, green something, Greenville, South, Carolina, South, Carolina. South Carolina. You also yeah. said Indianapolis. And you also yeah. said um, Kansas City.
2: Yes, Kansas City, Missouri.
1: Okay. On mm-hmm. the Missouri side. Now, let me ask you, is there uh, something that is uniform there is for instance is there jobs coming in jobs going out job uh, wages going up is is are they raising like three percent one percent twenty seven percent what is the metric of jobs what's the metric Mm -hmm. of perhaps um how many people are moving there do you want one percent year over year two percent year over year eight percent last year what are you specifically looking for on understanding does this market hit my metrics? Is it a place where I'd like to uh, invest my money?
2: All great questions. Um, Aside from uh, Indianapolis is the only uh, market that is really heavily tech-centered for us. And so that is, for me, a a huge appeal. So I like the the fact that it's kind of um, a Midwestern tech city. So, you know, a lot of jobs are flowing from San Francisco, even Boulder, Denver area, into the Indianapolis market. Um, And it's affordable. So to kind of wheel it back, um, we definitely are looking for year-over-year growth in uh, jobs, income, and the population. So making sure that the population is not contracting. So you know, even though you might have people having you know making higher wages, but if if the the population growth is dropping, that's not a good scenario for you. That means you have less of a tenant pool to pull from. So as far as specific numbers, you know, we're trying to hit you know three to you know obviously like you know there's some markets that are growing eight percent year over year. Um, that. I don't know whether it's sustainable growth. I mean, Greenville, South Carolina has had, you know, your growth going back 10 years. So that's an amazing track record. Um, you know, we're also looking at industries like the um, Forbes 500, Forbes 1000 industries um, moving headquarters into those four markets. So we also look for those type of um, diversification as well.
1: Awesome. Okay, perfect. What other parts did we miss so far, if any, as far as when when we're really talking about wanting to scale our real estate, our passive real estate portfolio, Mm -hmm. what other parts do we need to take into consideration when wanting to grow that portfolio as big as we can?
2: You know, for for me in my track, you know, you know, my progression in evolution and um, passive investing, you know, really leaning into the syndication making that leap from being an active investor into, um, you know, getting into multifamily investments, but particularly on the LP side has allowed me to scale faster because I get to utilize other people's time, money, credit. Uh, networks. Um, I really get to leverage that. And, you know, I provide value to the relationship as well, as far as, you know, bringing capital and, um, you know, potentially um, other, other investors as well into the, into the deal. So I, that, I, need that's to, huge.
1: <laughs> I need to ask you, so, um, so I'll, are you saying that when you get invested into deals that there's been times where you had friends of invest alongside with you? Is that what you're saying?
2: Uh, well, you know, when people start seeing success, um, others want that. So I, you know, when I started seeing success within my single family residential investing, I had friends and family that wanted to invest alongside me. Now that I've seen, um, success in, uh, passive syndication investing, I have people wanting to make the same transition or other, other Um, People want to say, I didn't really want to be active investing, but I really like what you're doing in the passive investing. So I can help bring um, some additional investors to another person's deal.
1: Has there been a time where because you brought your friends into those deals that maybe you were compensated by being part of the general partnership or did they just say, okay, thanks for bringing your friends and, Mm -hmm. and that was it?
2: Yeah. There's power in numbers. And so right now I haven't achieved that power in number, but that's definitely something that, you know, I, I know people do do, uh, you know, they leverage their networks and they leverage, you know, their email lists and they create a, a more of a marketing forum to where they can bring, you know, you know, 10, 20, 15, you know, 50 investors to a deal. And that is of huge value to, to syndicators. Cause that awesome. is, a huge obstacle that they have to overcome, you know, because usually, ca- you know, raising capital or uh, or excuse me, the equity, you know, it could happen, you know, within 30 days, maybe if they're lucky, 45, 60 days, but sometimes it's really a short time period.
1: Awesome. All right. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with the final five.
2: Hi,
0: I'm Gene Trowbridge, and I'm really excited about being at Adam Adams uh, presentation on October 3rd through the 5th. I gotta tell you something that's happening to me that I'm gonna talk about when I'm at that presentation. I go to um, all sorts of events. I'm one of the preeminent uh, securities attorneys in the country and people stop by my booth and they pick up a business card. Two days later, I get a solicitation from them to invest in their deal. That's totally illegal. I need to tell you about how you should not do that. My best legal advice to you is don't do that. You don't have a pre existing relationship with me. You don't have a substantive relationship with me. I'm going to talk about all that. And it's not just me you're soliciting illegally, it's all the other people that you haven't built the right foundation with before you go ahead and ask them to invest. So be sure to be there early on the first day to hear me talk about this because I'm going to keep you out of trouble and then be there at the end of the last day where Jillian Sidoti, my partner, is going to give you a rock star performance that you cannot afford to miss. So I'll see you in Denver October 3rd through the 5th. Thanks.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Pili Yarusi from Urusi Holdings. I am so honored to be speaking at the Raising Money Summit coming in October. At the summit, I'm going to be talking about how focus gives you more success and how your passive investors will know that and be attracted to that. So again, this is Pili Urusi. I am so honored to be a part of the Raising Money Summit and I will see you there. Bye now.
1: Hi, my name is Jeremy Roll. I'm a full-time passive cash flow investor. I have an MBA from the Wharton School and I'm the co-founder of Four Investors by Investors or FIBI. I'm really excited to be at the Raising Money Summit um, in Denver. Uh, I will be speaking to limited partners about things to avoid and what to really look for when you're looking for that type of investment. Please come join me at the summit in October.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Alina Trigub and I just want to say I am thrilled to come to Raising Money Summit because Adam Adams is putting it together. He is absolutely amazing at what he does. His conferences are always great, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of networking and the best experiences are coming out from Adam conferences because he's putting all his heart and all his efforts into it. So, I hope you're going to make it. I hope to see you at Raising Money Summit. But uh, no matter what you decide, if you can't attend this one, definitely attend the next one because Adam is doing a fantastic job with it.
1: All right. We are back with the final five with Whitney Hutton. actually <laughs> <And I>, that's, <laughs> that's the fourth time I've tried it, I think. I, I think I made a mistake a few times. With Whitney Hutton, if you are listening, go ahead and try that. It's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> All right, so, so we'll just leave it. Even though I made a few mistakes, that mistake is staying on. All right, <laughs> before we hop onto the final five, um, I wanted to remind the listener that you'll be actually on stage in January, on the 9th, on the ninth, yeah. 10th and 11th. So I'm really, really excited. So what we're doing or what we're trying to do is put on the biggest, the number one, largest, all-women event on the night. And it's something where it's a movement, not just an event. So we're trying to create like what I've seen when I go out to other conferences is zero or sometimes one, maybe at most two women on stage ever. And I've been to dozens and dozens and dozens of conferences, like a lot. And so what we're working on is trying to change that, trying to create a movement, something that We all can get behind. So if you're listening and you're a male or a female, it doesn't matter. Find a way to to let your friends know that there is going to be the biggest all-women event on January 9th. And then on the 10th and 11th, it'll be co-ed. So there'll be men and women. And Whitney will be on stage at both parts of the event, the all-women and the co-ed. So we're really excited to have her. She is, what she's doing is incredible. All right. So thanks for letting me take a, a second. And so the final five with Whitney Hutton is number one, what's the most creative deal you've ever done?
2: You know, I, you know putting some thought on that, I, I, I would like to actually call attention to the strategy that we're using in order to acquire capital for syndic- uh, syndications that we're investing in, which is utilizing the, uh, a, a BRRRR strategy to build up or force equity within the portfolio, sell that off. And so, essentially, we're using the the equity and the property to fund our down payments into the syndications.
1: Okay, perfect. And where were you? What's a book you recommend? That's the next one. What's a book that you a recommend? book. Uh,
2: my personal favorite is the One Thing. I my real estate is that Gary favorite, Keller uh, and Jay Papasan. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, perfect. my real estate investing took off when I really started embracing the principles there.
1: Love that. Where were you five years ago? What was it? What, what was uh, your path five years from today ago?
2: Well, where was I five years ago? I was working as an operations and training manager for a retail chain pharmacy and I was pregnant, <laughs> So not even thinking about real estate awesome. um, where I'm going in the future. Uh, you know, I'm beginning to live into that vision now and transitioning to out of traditional full-time employment and working more as a real estate professional. Um, and I'm so excited to do that. My, my little one, um's birthday is tomorrow. Yay. And so I get to spend more time. With
1: five her. years old.
2: Actually, she's seven. So, oh, okay, okay. yeah, I mean, I kind of cheated on the five years ago a little bit, but approximately yeah. and that no is five, fine. No approximately. Problem. All
1: right. So what does it look like five years from today?
2: Five years from today? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, I would, you know, just really, you know, kind of like what you were describing, you know, living into um, the women's movement that we're trying to to grow and cultivate. And I really just am so um, fired up in, in, you know, building a a movement that empowers women to take control of, you know, um, their health, their wealth, and just living financially free for themselves and their families.
1: I love that. Love that. Thank you so much. All right. So the next question is, how do you give back?
2: Well, I train others to execute on the same strategies that my husband and I have been using to invest uh, over the past few years. And we also volunteer with our community and we participate in the Foster Adopt program.
1: Awesome. And finally, the last question is, how do people find you? if, And besides coming to the January 9th, event and meeting you in person If they want to reach out to you ahead of time uh how do they find you what's the best way
2: yeah absolutely um you know people can reach out to me on bigger pockets uh i'm on bigger pockets i you know write in um blog uh blog there as well um you can also find me at good egg investments
1: thank you for coming on i really really appreciate your time and until next time my friend think outside the box I'm grateful to have you as a listener of the podcast. Please, if you'd like to meet in person, make sure you grab your tickets to the Raising Money Summit, which is October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So it's coming right up. It's already August. I can't believe it. So the Raising Money Summit is going to be here in just a few weeks. Grab your tickets. Let's meet in person. You'll get a ton of value. So I can't wait to meet you there.